0: All right, everyone, we are blessed to have a split sermon today brought to us by Matthew Steele from James 5. The title of his split sermon is Endurance Triumphs. Hello, everybody. I hope we're enjoying uh, what may well be a rainy Sabbath. But I, uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to complain too much. I planted some new trees, fruit trees in my uh, back garden, and they need a lot of water. Thirsty little creatures. Um, <clears throat> before I get into my message, excuse me. I just want to let you know I printed off. Uh, you know, I tend to do this every year now, a Pentecost calendar. We're about three weeks in, so it's a little late, but you can, you know, mark off each of the days. Um, it's not quite, you know, uh, uh, as good as last year, I don't think, but anyway. So Pentecost calendar, and they're over here on the uh, sound booth ledge over yonder. And one per family or, or so, and if, if you don't get one, let me know and I can print, print out some more. <clears throat> so, I know there's at least, uh, what, about 30 of our number here that have been going through the book of James and studying uh, the Beth Moore Bible study, Mercy Triumphs. And if you have not been going through the women's Bible study, you may be married to somebody that is, and so therefore maybe you've been going through the book of James, whether you wanted to or not. Um, and Renee is always sharing with me things that she's learned and things that uh, other people have shared with her and it's really beneficial for me in my studies and it helps, uh, it helps me in lots of ways and it led to this particular message today you know long before there was an Occupy Wall Street movement you know what I mean by that right? the folks that are protesting against the excessive wealth and power being consolidated in Wall Street. And we've had Occupy Wall Street and we've had Occupy LA, I think, and there's Occupy London. It even went international. Well long before there was an Occupy Wall Street, there was Occupy Jerusalem. Occupy Jerusalem. Long before there was protests against the 1% of the richest people in our world, there was James, the brother of Jesus, calling out the super-rich of his day, calling them out for their practices and for what they did with their wealth. In fact, in many ways, much of what he says in the first few verses of James chapter 5 Are prophetic. Prophetic not only throughout the ages but specifically for our time today. He says in James chapter 5 verse 1, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded. Gold and silver don't corrode. But such is their corruption, that their gold and their silver corrodes. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath, or some people may say sabbath but it's not sabbath as in saturday sabbath this word means the commander of the armies of heaven it is a title in fact you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury you have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter you have condemned you have murdered the just he does not resist you these rich people powerful people they oppressed the laborers and they did so to gain more wealth when they already had so much when they had more than the mind could imagine what to do with they would oppress their laborers not pay them their wages And you may think, well, why would they go work for them again? They had no choice. Because as we know, you know, those with the gold make the rules. The golden rule. Well, they could just bring you into court, pay the judge, slap you in prison. So there wasn't a lot of choice back then. And for parts of the world, there's not a lot of choice right now. If you think about it. They defrauded their workers who harvested their land. And in addition, they hoarded their wealth to an unprecedented levels. Their actions reached such a level that the commander of the armies of heaven, it came to his attention. And of course, he's gonna do something about it. According to figures released back in September uh, 2011 by the Census Bureau, Median earnings for full-time, year-round male workers in 2010 was $47,715. This is median earnings um, for full-time working men in 2010. The same workers in 1972, just to make you all feel young, a year before I was born, sorry, the same workers in 1972 earned, adjusted for $2,010, $47,550. Pretty shocking, isn't it? In 38 years, the annual earnings of the typical male worker have risen by $165, $3.17 a week. Don't spend it all at once guys, I'm going to spread it out a little. That's really incredible, isn't it? When we know anecdotally of the riches of the 1%, of the richest of the rich, has just exploded. I went back and forth about whether or not I'd pick on Apple because I'm using an iPad. Apple have $110 billion in cash. That's not assets. That's not intellectual property rights. That's not the combined net worth of the company. That's just cash. And they've finally been their arms been twisted to give shareholders some dividends of about ten billion a year. That's nice of them, isn't it? Unbelievable riches. And yet, for the average man who's trying to raise a family, well, you get uh, $3 a week pay raise every 38 years. That's great. So, all of this is taking place during a time of unprecedented wealth for the top, for the shareholders, for the investment bankers for the businessmen and women, for the families who, you know, no skill on their part happened to be born into the rich families of the world, and for the incredibly rich single individuals. You know, and you think of Steve Jobs, took a lot of it with him, didn't he? It's all still an apple, isn't it? Is this sustainable in any society? I mean, can this be sustainable? But When do we rise to the level of France and the revolution? Because at some point, societies do break down, don't they? Because of these kinds of disparities in riches between those that have and those that have far less. I don't think James was against personal gain. You know, there's plenty of examples in the Bible about earning and investing and growing some profits and doing so in a responsible way and being blessed with revenue. So he wasn't against personal gain but he was against the manner in which the rich obtained their riches and then did whatever they wanted with those riches. So is this just the way our economy has to work now? Is this just It's the nature of the beast. This is what happens to capitalist economies. Is this just part of the process? I don't think so. It is the corruption and the greed of men that these conditions were created. It's by defying God's laws, employers suppressing wages to maximize profits. You know, I was thinking last night when I was reading this, I was thinking, Well, you know, it's interesting. The Lord of God says you pay the laborer, the employer, after he's done his work for the day. But how many of us get a paycheck every two weeks? And I find that interesting. That we're even when we think we have a good boss and a good work environment, the whole system is totally opposed to the Lord of God that says you pay the man his wages earned for that day. The same thing that James saw back then, as I've already stated, is going on today. But more than that, more than just the inequity of wealth, the rich people he railed against did something else. In the NIV and the Authorized Standard Version, they have a slightly different translation for verse 6. They both essentially say, this, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So more than just greed, more than just corruption, rich and powerful movers and shakers in Jerusalem, which were also the religious leaders, more than just their corruption, they conspired to kill the just one the only just one, the innocent one. Jesus himself, as we know, the Son of God. And Jesus foretold this in Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. They knew who he was. They knew that he was the son of the landlord, of the landowner, that they killed him anyway. They wanted their wealth, their lifestyle, their power, their positions so they killed him. And when you look at it in this light, it makes much more sense how they were able to whip up a crowd to yell crucify him. These guys were influential. Money talks. And it just really paints the scene to my mind of how they were able to get people that just days earlier were singing Hosanna to the son of David. now say crucify him. What would you think would happen if Jesus were to arrive in Wall Street and start knocking over all their electronic money changing machines, kicking down a few file servers, cutting some network cables and throwing it all out in the street, not to mention what he would do with that large bull out front? What do you think would happen? you think all the power men? of New York City and Washington, D.C., would say, oh, it's okay, That's all right. I don't think so. They tolerated the Occupy Wall Street for a little while. But I think they would still kill the Son of God. So, and it's not just here, too. You know, we we have our perspective, but our 1%, engage in some really terrible things abroad. You know, while Apple is sitting on this $110 billion of cash, there's stories coming out of their workers in plants in Asia committing suicide because of the intense work and the rivalry to get a job at Apple. Just, I couldn't imagine this from the rich and the powerful all the people that James railed against. But what about us, brethren? You know, we see all of this. Perhaps we experience some of this. Perhaps we have experienced some of this in our our careers. What do we do with this? Certainly the Christians that James was writing to were experiencing this corruption. What should our response be? It says in verse 7, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the, former waits, uh, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I think James knew all too well that human nature really can, can give out in that kind of oppression time. After all the, these rich, wicked people, you know, they weren't some distant investment bankers. They were right there, trying to destroy and squelch this faith of Jesus Christ. This new and living way of the Messiah. But he said, stand fast. Endure. Just as the prophets of old had. Persevere. Have patience. Do the work that you've been called to do. He also says, do not grumble against one another, brethren. Lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them as blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end uh, intended by the Lord, and that the Lord is very compassionate compassionate, and merciful. I don't know if you've ever noticed this when you're in a group, if you're, uh, whether it be in work or some kind of social organization or even in church, when you feel put upon, embattled, challenged from the outside and there's nothing you can do about that challenge, you know what happens? People start to bicker, start to have infighting, start to criticize. They're really angry at whatever is attacking them from out there, but we can't reach out there so we, in human nature, lash out. But those that are in our group it doesn't make sense but it happens he says don't do that look out for that instead encourage one another have patience take this as a as a symbol of pride that you are like the prophets that you are enduring the same things that they endured James asks us to be an example, just as the prophets were before. He very much saw us as prophets, as witnesses against the darkness and the corruption of the world. He continues in verse 12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Don't swear, but tell the truth. Don't try and persuade by the, you know, the, the grand oath that you're making. I swear on my mother's life. Well, firstly, it doesn't belong to you. And secondly, let your yes be yes. Your no be no. What does the swearing have to do? To me, it always sounds like somebody is trying to persuade you of a lie rather than the truth. Instead, our yes should be yes, our no be no, and we should just follow the example of our king when we are questioned about what we believe. He said he came to bear witness to the truth. So should we. It would appear also that James felt the need to caution us, prepare us, for some legal proceedings. you know? Put your hand on the Bible and swear? No. I won't do that. I'll just tell you the truth. I would say yes, I'll say no. Or I might take the fifth, but you know the truth. Just as the prophets of old endured with patience, we must endure the wickedness of men so that the judgment of God, when it appears, will be seen by all as being just. Because we'll be there as witnesses to say, yeah, they really did do these things and they really are deserving of the judgment that is coming upon them. James says we must endure. Jesus himself told us before in Matthew 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as servant and as harmless as devs. But be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about what you should speak, for it will be given you in that hour what you should speak for it is not you who speaks but the spirit of the father who speaks in you now brother will give up brother to death and father his child and children will raise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death and you will be hated by all by all for my name's sake but he who endures to the end will be saved and down in Verse 27, he says, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. You know, whenever Jesus reveals something to us, we should share it. It's that simple. Whenever we are given a revelation, whether it be in prayer or the study of of God's Word, at night, on our knees in the night watches, and we are given something, we should share it. We should persevere. We should not give up. We should do that now, why, things are relatively easy for us. The people that James was talking to, this was tough. This would get you killed. Verse 28, he says, do not fear those who would kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Are not one, not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs on your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are more of, of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before man, him I will also confess before my Father, which is in heaven. But whoever denies me before man, him I will also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. You know, it might come as a big surprise to some of you, but I occasionally make some mistakes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> sometimes I let my temper uh, you know get the best of me uh, sometimes I don't listen very well a little forgetful maybe a little selfish from time to time maybe well no sometimes I just come right out and sin I'm sure none of you do that But you know, there is one thing that we, and I feel I will never do, is deny Christ. I'm not perfect. But if I deny Christ, then (laughs) what hope is there? How can you deny Christ? And yet, we have an apostle that did. And Jesus said. If you deny me, I'll deny you to the Father. Now, I never knew that Peter fellow. He's out. But we know that's not what happened, is it? Because momentary weakness, fear, I mean, gripped with fear, your whole world is falling apart. Fear may cause you to say, I, no, I, Jesus, how do you, how do you, how do you spell that? I've never heard of the guy but a life of denial. A life of denial. Like these rich, powerful, religious leaders that James was railing against. Even though you know who he is, a life of denial is what he's talking about here. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven would not want to be one of those guys turning back to James chapter 5 and verse 13 he says is anyone among you suffering let him pray is anyone cheerful let him join the worship team oh no let him sing psalms is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church And let them pray on him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I just love the matter-of-fact way that James says these things. It's just going to happen. You'll be healed. And you'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, I think there's a lot in James, especially ladies that you've studied James here in the last few weeks more intently. There's a lot in James to go, oh, we don't do any of that. I make you feel about this big. But these things right here, we do. Lots of folks that don't. And we should be glad that God has given the grace and the wisdom to us to do these things. We do anoint with oil and lay on hands and pray for healing. We do these things. We do pray when we're suffering. And we pray when others are suffering for them. And we praise and we sing praises old hymns, new songs, whatever it may be, we do these things. This is good. We do all of these things. He continues, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. He says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It's fascinating to me that James ends his his epistle with Elijah and with this redeeming of a brother who's falling away, who's falling from the truth. Is he trying to link the two together? Is there something here between the example of Elijah and restoring someone? Well, let's take a look real quick. In 1 Kings Chapter 18, we pick up the story of Elijah. So he's called fire down from heaven. It's destroyed everything in its way, the sacrifice covered with water and the stones and everything else. And he is then set about and taking care of about uh, 70 priests of Baal, executed them. He's done all of this and then he's about to pray that God will send the rain. It says in verse 41, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of an abundance of rain. So Ahab went to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Carmel, and he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing there. So seven times, He said, go again. And then it came to pass that seventh time that he said, well, there's a tiny little cloud, like a man's hand coming out of the sea. Okay. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was heavy rain. And Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. And he girded up his loins, went into a phone booth, opened his shirt. (laughs) Because he actually ran as fast as Superman. He beat Ahab to Jezreel on foot. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. Talk about a man filled with the spirit, filled with the power of God. He just called fire down from heaven, prayed that there would be rain, and now broke all records for the hundred meters. And then some. Pretty impressive guy. So after all of that, what happens? He runs away like a girl. He does. Jezebel said, I'm going to take care of this guy and I'm going to make him like one of these prophets that he that he killed. And I'm gonna I'm gonna kill him. And he runs away. What? See, I don't think things went quite according to plan, or at least what he had in his mind. You can infer from the scriptures that it's almost as though he thought, well. After I do all of this, they're going to be scared of me and they're just going to run away and we'll restore some things and we'll get things going in the right direction. But that's not what happened. Jezebel was so corrupted, she didn't care that he did all these things. She's just going to kill him. Sounds very similar, doesn't it? To certain rich, powerful individuals that have the control of the state and the religion. Very similar. He says, at the end of verse 4, I'm no better than my fathers. No better than his fathers. Look at everything that he had done. And yet he had succumbed to fear that he would be killed. And perhaps he was no better than his fathers in that he lacked faith. You know, at that moment in time, his faith was really rocked in spite of everything he did. And it sounds incredible to us. But we've all experienced that in small ways. Maybe smaller ways than this. I know I have. Come right off of this faith high and boom, a problem appears, something happens, whatever it may be, and now we're doubting whether or not we're going to get through it. Perhaps, like I said, he thought Ahab and Jezebel would run. They didn't. We find him laying, in verse 5, under a broom tree. And suddenly an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and by there there was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went on the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. We kind of know the rest of the story. I'm just going to skip over a few passages here. Let's pick it back up in verse 13. It says, so what So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What is this all about? What are you doing here? He said... I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazal king over Syria, and you shall also anoint Jehu, the son of uh, Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of that guy, how do you say that? Shaphat of Abel, Menelah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whosoever escapes the sword of Hazal, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed it. God specifically, in this passage, specifically the person, Jesus Christ, as we later know him, went after Elijah, found him where he was, and said, What are you doing here? What are you doing? And woke him up and restored him, physically feeding him, but more importantly, Spiritually restoring him. I wonder, could we say that Elijah, like what James was talking about at the very last verses of of James 5, was Elijah falling from the truth? Was he falling away? He had a lack of faith for sure. He had a weakness. He ran away from his obligations. And Jesus, as his habit is, goes out to find the lost and to bring them back and to restore. You know, Elijah is like us and we are like him. We're weak and we're frail and we have times of great faith and we have times of weakness and fear. But that should be encouraging to us. Not only because of what James tells us, for one another to look out for each other. That when we see a brother falling, slipping away, to come after that one and restore that one. And as he says, cover a multitude of sins. But we have a savior that will also do it. As an example here. But I want to ask you a question. What if God didn't go after Elijah? What if nobody went after him to restore him back, to strengthen him again, physically and spiritually? What would have happened? What would we have lost? We would have lost the the final conclusion of that life of dedication. The transfiguration wouldn't have had Elijah in it, right? Some of the imagery is portrayed through the life of John the Baptist tying back to Elijah that wouldn't be there the narrative of the Bible would have been significantly different and of course Elisha may never receive the mantle from Elijah what that would have done Who knows, maybe Elisha still would have continued on and still would have been called directly by God. But it was much more powerful, was it not, that he put on the mantle of Elijah. This ministry has not finished. It will continue forward. So how do we take this as Christians? Do we continue in our faith, endure to the very end, realizing that it might be at the very end some of the most important things, challenges, that we are engaging in are at the very end, at the end of our life of endurance, when we can maybe pass on the mantle to our children, or our children's children, to our brethren, our family and the congregation we must endure to the end we should look at this with hope because Elijah was able to be redeemed restored his faith was strengthened and he went out and passed on this ministry to the next generation we can stick it out And if necessary, be restored back also to the path. So that in the end, endurance will be turned into triumph.